open your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 15. Actually, we're going to start with 14, then we'll go over to 15. So Mark, chapter 14. And um, we're going to be spending time in Mark 15 and Psalm 22 tonight. Um, and the, the uh, title for the message, if we have to have a title, is Jesus the Master Teacher. Jesus the Master Teacher. So uh, Mark, we'll do Mark 14 and 15 and Psalm 22 tonight. So for those who don't know, this Sunday is Palm Sunday, right? And so we have only about a week and a half till Easter. And that came up super duper quick on me this year. I don't know about you. Um, and because of that, tonight I wanted to look at one of the things that Jesus said on the cross. And, uh, and how it pertains to his mission on earth, as well as um, the prophecy in the Old Testament that spoke of his coming. Um, if you were here this past Sunday, Brother Gary talked uh, and he preached out of Matthew regarding when Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we're going to take a look at that uh, tonight. Um, it just, it's been on my mind ever, ever since then, and we're going to look in, in Mark's account. Um, but we're going to look at that in, in Psalm, and, and we're going to take a little different view um, from what Brother Gary preached um, on Sunday, because I don't want to obviously re-preach the message. But uh, basically, when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, and so the Garden of Gethsemane was an olive grove, and so there was an olive press there, and the point of that olive press was to crush the olives to make olive oil. And they used that oil for many different things, for medicines, for, um, for food, I mean, all, all different kind of things. And so he was uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, which also can be referred to a place of crushing because that's where they were crushing the olives. And this was prior to his arrest in Mark 14. And we're going to read verses 35 and 36 of Mark 14. It says, And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not that I will, but what you will. And so uh, Brother Gary talked a little bit about this on Sunday also. But basically, um, what Jesus was not doing was Jesus knew that he had to die. That, that his, his mission and his purpose to come to this earth was to die. He knew that. So he wasn't saying, you know, God, if, if there's any way for me to not have to die, can we do that, please? Um, he knew he was going to have to. In fact, he told his disciples, guys, I'm going to go away. In order to go away, I have to die. And he knew the prophecies better than anyone. And, anyone. and Isaiah 53 is a big example of that, that Jesus was going to have to suffer. But what I believe that he's praying for here, and, and some others believe as well, is that he's praying that the drink offering cup is to pass. You say, what's a drink offering? To understand the drink offering, you have to understand what that is and, and how it happened in the Old Testament. Um, it's mentioned in Genesis 35 and Exodus 29 and Numbers 15 in relation to the drink offering. See, every year uh, the people of, of Israel would bring their sacrifices and they would bring a, a spotless, perfect lamb. That was the, that was the, the ultimate sacrifice. And you and, and in Exodus 29, there were, they said that you had to bring two, one for the morning and one for the evening. And 
what they did was they would sacrifice their offering to the Lord, and then they would pour out this drink offering on this sacrifice. And the drink offering was a mixture of oil from olives, olive oil, and wine. It was a mixture of the two. And it would create a pleasing aroma up to God. That's, that's how Exodus and how Numbers describes it, a pleasing aroma to God. And many uh, Bible historians believe that it was a picture of God's wrath for sin being poured out on the sacrifice. Whether that be the animal, the lamb, or an ox, or a grain offering, whatever the case was, whatever that they were bringing, they would pour out, it was a picture of God's wrath being poured on the sacrifice, and that sacrifice would receive the judgment of God for those sins, and then that would create a sweet aroma in the nostrils of God. And what was really beautiful is that it was a picture of both God's mercy and God's justice. Because sin has to be accounted for. But he was showing mercy by saying, I'm going to, going to punish your sin on this sacrifice. So his mercy was he didn't hold it against the people, but the sin was a, a, a accounted for. And that animal's blood was required. Shedding of blood had to happen. And then in Exodus 29, it says that once they would, they would do the sacrifice and they would pour out the drink offering, then they would go into the tent and God would meet with his people. He would fellowship with his people. He set them apart and, and sanctified them after the, after the sacrifice. And Jesus' mission was to come to this earth, live a perfect life, and be God's perfect lamb sacrifice for all of mankind's sin. And his blood was required. Hebrews 9.22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. His blood was required, and that it wouldn't just cover your sins for a year, like Whenever they would bring their, their, their sacrifice in the Old Testament, that, that would take care of them for that year. Then they'd have to do it every year, after year, after year. But Jesus' blood would come and not just cover the sin, but wash it completely away. It's as if you'd never sinned. Justified, right? We talked about that word. You are now justified. It's justified, never sinned. And when Jesus is praying this prayer in this olive grove, this place of crushing, the cup that was to come to him was causing him so much grief and so much just angst and so much pressure that the Bible says that he literally was sweating drops of blood. The thought of this cup and the thought of what he was about to have to endure was so much that he was sweating drops of blood, and he asked God, please, if there's any other way, not my will, but your will be done. Any other way. If I can just teach man to be really good, I can do that. I can teach them, listen, do more good than you do bad, and you'll be all right. Maybe we can, I don't know, do what Oprah says and, and all dogs go to heaven, right? Can't we just do that? But not my will, 
but yours be done. Now flip over to Mark 15, verse 33. Mark 15, 33 and 34. It says, when the sixth hour had come, this was noon. So just so you know, Jesus, they crucified Jesus. It started at 9 a.m. And now it's noontime. When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m., it was completely dark. Imagine if that happened right now, right? The world would be coming to an end. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. I'm going to try to say this right, and I apologize if I butcher how the pronunciation. Eloi, Eloi, Lema Shabakathani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So from 12 to 3, there was complete darkness. And it was there that I personally believe, as well as many others, that that's when the cup offering was poured out on Jesus. That God's wrath for all of man's sin was put on him, was on the sacrificial lamb. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake, he made him, God made Jesus to be sin. He became sin. Who knew no sin. Jesus never sinned. He never knew the feeling of sin. He never knew what it was like to have to deal with the consequences of sin. Jesus never had sin. It says that he became sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus actually became sin. He experienced it and God's judgment on sin was placed on Jesus. The Bible says that it pleased the Father to do that. Isaiah 53.10, it says, Yet it was the will of the Lord, or it pleased God to crush him. Why? Why? Because this was God's redemptive plan to reconcile him to us. This was always the plan. And as this is happening, all at once, Jesus cries out, My God! My God, why have you forsaken me? The word forsaken means abandoned, deserted, to leave helpless. And I'm sure he felt abandoned. All of his followers had left him. At this point. Did he feel separated from the Father? Did he feel God had left him there helpless? I don't know. I don't know. He probably might have felt that way. But we do know that his fellowship with the Father was separated. He had never endured that. Never. From eternity past to this point, he had never broken fellowship with the Father. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were in a perfect love relationship in and of themselves, never separated. And when Jesus became sin, 
fellowship was broken. I don't know how Jesus felt, but I do know this. Jesus was the ultimate master teacher. He was the perfect rabbi. One of the rabbinical teaching techniques that was used back then that we've talked about before is quoting scripture or a part of a scripture. And the hearer would then finish it in their mind or they would say it out loud in a group. Here's an example. If I said out loud, for God so loved the, that he, keep going. Whoever, very good, right? Here's another one. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not, he maketh me, he leadeth me beside snow waters, Right? That's a, te- a, a technique they used. Or how about this? Just a small town girl. Living in a lonely world. Exactly, right? Everyone knows. That's the next line, right? Jesus is quoting Old Testament scripture right here. He's quoting Old Testament scripture. In fact, it's a prophecy of himself. Turn over to, to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. Turn to Psalm 22. 22.1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, the master teacher here, is quoting Old Testament scripture. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Verse 3, yet... You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In our Father, and you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. The word delivered means saved or rescued. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Not put to shame means they were not disappointed. Jesus is preaching a sermon with one verse. Because he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Every Pharisee there, every Sadducee there, every Jew in attendance would immediately go to Psalm 22. They would immediately start saying this exactly word for word because they had it memorized. Verse 3, yet you are holy. Even in the midst of my pain, God, even when I feel the most abandoned, even when I feel like I'm all by myself, you are holy. Enthroned on the praises of Israel. In other words, God is always holy and God is always worthy to be praised. Even when I feel abandoned, even when I feel alone, even when I feel forsaken, he is holy and he should be praised. Verse 4. God is our rescuer, our deliverer, our savior. Verse 5, he is always there and will never let us down. And what Jesus was doing at that moment on the cross was reconciling man with God in order to bring us into relationship with the Father. And if we accept Jesus' death and forgiveness, then we are never alone. Why? Because we are a child of God. The God who is always holy, who is always worthy of our praise. We are saved, like verse 4 says. He's our rescuer. He's our deliverer. 
It's just like verse 5. All of our hope, all of our trust is in the one who will never disappoint or let us down. Jesus was fulfilling this. Verse 6, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me, make mouths at me and wag their heads. That means make mouths. Uh, we're going back to verse 6, when it says scorned, it means that they were making fun of him. Verse 7, making mouths at me, means that they were throwing insults, and it literally means sticking out your tongue. Verse 8, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. See, at this point, while Jesus is on the cross, Jesus had been beaten. Beaten. When he was arrested, they didn't go light on him. There were no Miranda rights. He was beat up. From illegal trial to illegal trial, they beat him. They spit on him. They took big, like, baton things and beat him in the face with it. They literally took handfuls of his beard and ripped it off his face. They took what was called the cat of nine tails, which I'm sure you've heard of, which was a whip. And at the end of these nine pieces of leather was pieces of rock and bone and glass. And they would hit him with it and it would attach itself and then rip the flesh off of his back and off of his, his chest and off of his stomach and off of his legs. He was beaten. He was despised. He had been mocked by the Roman soldiers. They put a purple robe on him. They put a blindfold on him and would punch him and hit him in the face and say, Ooh, who did it, Jesus? Tell us who did that to you. They took a crown of thorns. And th- I'm not talking about little, these little thorns on a rose. I'm, we're talking about thorns probably about that big. And they forced it into his head as his crown. They mocked him. And as he was on the cross, dying in pain and agony, the religious rulers walked right past him. And in Luke 23, 35, they said, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, the people who were supposed to know who he was, the people who are supposed to be the most loving in the community. Save yourself, Jesus. Get yourself off the cross. The Roman soldiers did it too. They joined in. One of the thieves on the cross next to him dying said the same thing. If you're God, get yourself down and bring us with you. Does that not mimic verse 8? Does that not mimic verse 8? He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Right? Jump down to verse 14. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. See, the crucifixion was a horrible, horrible way to die. One of the things they did was they, they dug this hole. And they would drop the cross after they nailed you. 
right? They nailed his hands and his feet. And they would drop the cross into this long, long hole. And it would hit the ground suddenly. And all of your bones would come out of joint. And you wouldn't have the strength to hold yourself up to breathe, so you would literally just hang there over. And as you're hanging there, your, your lungs are being filled with fluid. It says, all, it says, all my bones are out of joint. And, and, and as you're sitting there, and you, just, you push yourself up. you got to think about Jesus' back was bloodied. It was destroyed. It was butchered. And he's rubbing it up against the wood and just pushing yourself up just a little bit on your nail-pierced feet just to get a breath, just to say a word, and then back down as your lungs are filling with fluid and you're starting to literally drown inside yourself. And the process was very, very long. It took hours and hours and hours. Sometimes they'd have to come up and they would break the man's legs so that he couldn't push himself up anymore and finally just die. But Jesus died after seven hours on the cross. It says that he gave up the ghost, meaning he gave his life. He was done. And it happened so quick that they were like, well... Let's make sure he's dead. So they took a spear into his side. And when the soldiers pierced his side, it says blood and water poured out. I'm poured out like water. My heart is like wax. Verse 16. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. This is before the crucifixion was even invented. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. From my clothing, they cast lots. See, the crucifixion, they drove nails in his feet and his hands. And it says that dogs encompass me. It's like a pack of wild dogs just coming together, waiting to pounce. And then in verse 18, it says, They divide my garments and they... They cast lots. See, the Roman soldiers had taken that purple robe and they were gambling for it as a prized possession. That's what casting lots is like rolling dice. Who gets the robe? All these things happened to Jesus. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was... He was despised. He was pierced in his hands and his feet. And then he quoted Psalm 22, 1. And all the Pharisees, all the Sadducees, every Jew there would know Psalm 22. It came right before Psalm 23. It was written by King David. It was very popular and well-known. And Jesus, being the master teacher, is bringing all of this together by saying, Hey! That prophesied Messiah, that's me. The suffering man in Psalm 22, that's me. The man of sorrows in Isaiah 53. I was the one in the fiery furnace in Daniel chapter 4. I was born in Bethlehem like Micah 5 proclaimed. I am the son of man. I am the son of God, the land that takes away your sins. I am the promised Messiah. For us. And so the cup, the drink offering was poured out on Jesus. 
and his blood was poured out on the cross as the Lamb of God. And then Jesus said, it is finished. To Tetelestai. Tetelestai. The word Tetelestai was written on business documents or receipts in the New Testament time to indicate that a bill had been paid in full. Your deed on your house, you pay it off, big red stamp, Tetelestai. It's yours. And when Jesus died on the cross, he paid in full the sin debt for man's sins, for my sins, for your sins. Every sin ever committed, every sin you're going to commit, it was paid in full, stamped in red with his blood. You are no longer in debt to your sin and despair. You are no longer condemned to a place called hell. You are no longer an orphan and abandoned. You are now a child of God. It's paid in full, completely. And if you believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah, that he is the Lord, that he died on the cross and rose again, and somehow that counts for you, to pay your complete sin debt, then you can be saved. What Romans 10 says, right? We confess our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead. Thou will be saved. The point tonight is very simple. Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is who he says he is. And he died and rose again to save our souls. Everything he went through, the persecution, the beatings, Taking God's wrath, he did for us. So now, what are you going to do with him? That's the question. What are you going to do with him? Are you going to accept that free gift of salvation if you haven't already? Are you going to share that free gift of salvation with everyone you know? What a story, what a love story. That's, that Jesus would do all that to bring you into a right relationship with the Father. What a gift. What are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to receive him? Are you going to share him? Are you going to reject him? If you haven't received Jesus Christ, if you've never come to that point in your life where you've said, I believe I'm a sinner. I know that my sins will send me to hell. But I believe that what Jesus did counts for me. And he, I want to make him Lord and Savior of my life. We want to invite you to do that tonight. If you've already done that, praise God. I am so thankful that you are going to heaven. But let me ask you, what are you doing with that? Are you telling people about it? Are you showing people it? Are you just can't get this good news out of your mouth? Can you just, I just can't wait to tell people of the gospel. Remember that fire you felt when you first got saved? Remember how you felt when you went to camp? Remember how you felt when you came back from camp? Where did it go? Where did the joy go? Where did the passion go? Where did the fire go? What a great time to, to, to reignite it. What a great time right when it comes to Easter Sunday to say, you know what? 
I've been kind of slacking off, and you know what? I need to just share my faith. I need to tell people the good news of Jesus. I just can't hold it in anymore. I want to tell them more about Jesus than about Instagram. I want to tell them more about Jesus than my Snapchat. I want to tell them more about Jesus than anything else in the world. Does it get your fire going, man? What are you going to do with Jesus? Jesus. 